My name is Phil. I'm one of two pastors here at Richfield Bible Church. Today, we're in part two of our Ecclesiastes series. If you missed part one, you'll find a link to that under this video in the description. So please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. Now, when people talk about Ecclesiastes, they usually also talk about two other books of the Old Testament. Those are Proverbs and Job. And together, these three books, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and Job, are the Old Testament wisdom books. Proverbs is most famous for its many proverbial statements, those pithy descriptions of how life consistently works. Life under the sun is ordered. For example, in Proverbs 13, 21, Proverbs says, Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. In other words, if you are wicked, disaster will pursue you. If you are righteous, you will be blessed. This is how life under the sun consistently works. And the wise man or woman is the one who fears God, understands this order of life, and then orders his own life accordingly. The wise lives in God's world, God's way. Now, Proverbs does not emphasize when these pithy type statements don't explain what we see in life under the sun. I'm sure we can all think of righteous people who don't seem very blessed, and we can all think of wicked people who don't seem to be pursued by disaster. And these exceptions can make us feel like life is not ordered. The book of Proverbs is not ignorant of these exceptions, but they are not the focus of Proverbs. Rather, Job and Ecclesiastes are more concerned with these exceptions. Proverbs says, Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. But then Ecclesiastes says, There is a hevel that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is hell. So is, is Ecclesiastes contradicting Proverbs? It may seem like it, but the standard proverb, remember, describes only what consistently happens in life under the sun. There are going to be exceptions. That is not a surprise. In fact, we're used to this. We're used to proverb-like statements in our own culture that don't always apply, that don't always explain what we see in life. For instance, we say things or have said things like, too many cooks spoil the pot or the broth. But then we also say that many hands make light work. We say, he who hesitates is lost. But then we say, look before you leap. We say, the pen is mightier than the sword. And then we say, actions speak louder than words. Finally, we, we say the best things come in small packages, but then we say, what, the bigger, the better. So just as in our culture, the pithy-like statements or sayings of Proverbs describe how life consistently works and not how life always works. And that will affect how we interpret the book of Proverbs. Also, Ecclesiastes and Job do not contradict Proverbs. They complement it. These books, Job and Ecclesiastes, focus 
on when the Proverbs do not explain what we see in life under the sun. Job and Solomon wrestle with this disorder or apparent disorder of life. They help us, God's people, live in God's world, a place of order, but a place where the unexpected and the inexplicable are also common, a place where truly there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. And so together, Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes give us a more complete understanding of how to live wisely or how to live in God's world, God's way. Now, in part one of this mini-series, we went back to the very beginning. When everything was good, and then Adam and Eve sinned, and God announced changes that would frustrate their attempts to rule as they had before. Life under the sun would now be full of thorns and thistles. It would be full of hevel. In Ecclesiastes, remember, hevel is the Hebrew word usually translated as vanity or meaningless. But do you remember the the better translation we gave last time? Hevel is better translated frustrating enigma. Instead of vanity, think frustrating enigma. An enigma is something that resists our attempts to understand, master, or control it. Trying to master life under the sun with all its hevel is like trying to catch the wind. But sin was not the only reason that God filled life with hevel. It is part of sin's punishment, to be sure. But Ecclesiastes tells us more about God's purpose in hevel in life under the sun. In Ecclesiastes, Solomon explains that God has given to us the understanding that there is a meaningful progression to all of the times in life under the sun. But God has also set a limit on how much of that we can understand. We know that the times of life fit somehow by God's design. But also by God's design, we can't put it all together. We want to know it all, but we can't. And that's the way God wants it. This is the business that God has given to us, to be always pursuing mastery of life under the sun, but never achieving that goal. It's like trying to catch the wind. It's hevel. But why do this? Why would God make us want to know the end from the beginning, but also make us incapable of understanding it? The answer is not just because Adam and Eve sinned. This is our punishment. The answer is also that we might fear God. In other words, God gave us hevel for a good purpose, to keep us from the destructive delusion of control. Hevel puts us in a place of weakness so that we are drawn away from ourselves and toward God. And so the right response to hevel is to fear God. And today, in part two of our study, I want to talk more about what the fear of God looks like from Ecclesiastes, where we find at least two descriptions of this fear. First, the one who fears God pursues wisdom. That will be our focus for this study. Next time, we'll look at the second description, the one who fears God enjoys life under the sun. So what does the fear of God look like? First, the one who fears God pursues wisdom. Now, how do we get that from Ecclesiastes? That might seem unexpected. After part one of our study, 
If someone asked you, what is Ecclesiastes all about? And maybe you would say something like, well, Ecclesiastes shows us that life under the sun is full of hevel, making life completely unpredictable. And so we must fear God. He alone knows the end from the beginning. But I want you to think about that answer. Is life under the sun completely unpredictable? Not according to Ecclesiastes. In fact, Ecclesiastes pushes us to pursue wisdom precisely because life under the sun is not completely unpredictable. If you want to turn with me quickly to each of these verses, uh, first go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 13. I'll give you a second to get there. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 13. And we're going to go through several of these in succession. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 13. Solomon writes this. He says, Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly or foolishness, as there is more gain in light than in darkness. So there from that verse, right away we see that Solomon says it's, it's better to be wise. Okay? Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. Solomon says, Ecclesiastes 4, verse 13. He says, Better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. So it was better to be wise and poor than rich and foolish. Better to be wise. Ecclesiastes 7. Ecclesiastes 7, verse 5. It is better, Solomon says, for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Wisdom is better than foolishness. Ecclesiastes 9, 9, verse 16 through 18. 9, 16 to 18. But I say that wisdom is better than might. Though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard, the words of the wise heard in quiet are better than the shouting of a ruler among fools. Better is wisdom than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 10. 10, verse 10. If the iron is blunt and one does not sharpen it, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one to succeed. And just two verses later, Ecclesiastes 10, verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth win him favor, but the lips of a fool consume him. So what's, what's clear from these verses and many more? Solomon thinks that wisdom is a good idea. It is better to be wise. But if life is completely unpredictable, how can Solomon say that it's better to be wise than to be foolish? When he says that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, he is essentially predicting that it will be better for you if you are wise. He's telling you how life under the sun consistently works. In other words, and listen carefully, because life is not completely unpredictable, it is predictable that it will be better for you to be wise than to be foolish. Let me say that one more time. Because life is not completely unpredictable, it is predictable that it will be better for you to be wise than to be foolish. Now, of course, there will be times 
when life doesn't work this way, when the wise is blindsided by the unexpected. But that does not mean that life is completely unpredictable. Rather, it is a reminder that though we want to know and understand the end from the beginning, God has not revealed everything to us. He's told us a lot, but he has not told us everything. Life under the sun is kind of like one of those sequence questions on a standard achievement test. Do you remember these? This will surely take you back to your childhood. In these questions, we are given part of a sequence and then asked, what comes next? So here we are. Here's our, here's our question. Our sequence is square, diamond, circle, X. Square, diamond, circle, what comes next? An X, right? You got it. You guys are awesome at this. So let's try it again. Square, diamond, circle, X. Square, diamond, circle, X. What comes next? Now, you're probably thinking that square will come after this X. Well, let's think about that. Why do you think that? Well, because it did last time, right? And so that is a, a good answer. It is a wise answer. There is good reason to think that square will come next. You are wise to plan for a square. Great job. But what if I told you that actually a triangle comes next? It's confusing, isn't it? Do you feel that hevel, that enigma? The reason you feel that square has to come next is that you are assuming that the part of the pattern you can see represents the whole pattern. But when I show you more of the pattern, and if I gave you time to, to analyze it, you would recognize that triangle actually fits the larger pattern beautifully or perfectly. So you were wise to expect a square because of what you knew about the pattern. I mean, look how often a square shows up after an X in this sequence. It happens all the time. It's how this pattern consistently works. The problem was that you didn't know the whole pattern. But now that I've shown you more of it, you can see that I was right. Sometimes a triangle after an X fits the larger pattern beautifully. But then just when we think we've got this pattern figured out, look at the end there. What happens? Just when we think we've got it figured out, there's more chevel in life under the sun. Now let's step back and connect this illustration more clearly to Ecclesiastes. Proverbs looks at life and says, see, squares consistently come after X's. That's how life consistently works. The consistency of God's rule over his world makes it possible for us to look at life and say, this is what we should do because of the way that God rules his world. And life will often move forward just as we expect. You'll see lots of squares after X's in life. This is a primary focus of Proverbs. Ecclesiastes, on the other hand, says, yes, Proverbs is right. You need to understand, however, that sometimes triangles do come after X's, and that's heaven. There will be times when what God does is not what we expected. The wise man or woman is the one who fears God, understands this order of God's world, and then orders his, lone, his, his own life accordingly. The wise lives in God's world, God's way. 
Wisdom is good, Ecclesiastes says. So get wisdom. But, Ecclesiastes warns, wisdom does not put us in a position of control where we can plug in all the right pieces to guarantee the outcome we want. And this is a primary focus in Ecclesiastes. So given the order of life under the sun, we now understand why it makes sense to pursue wisdom when we live in a world of, of hell. But how do we go about actually pursuing wisdom today? Well, wisdom starts, of course, with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It starts with turning away from ourselves and turning to God through Jesus Christ as our only hope in life and death. And on that foundation of the fear of the Lord, on that relationship, we pursue after wisdom. And pursuing wisdom is not complicated, but it's also not easy. It's a skill. Wisdom is something we grow in, we get better at by God's grace. And Proverbs shows us both what wisdom is and how to grow in it. Wisdom is the skill of applying God's revelation to life under the sun. Proverbs is known as being practical, and rightly so. But the book of Proverbs is not the practical part of the Bible. Proverbs is practical because all God's revelation is practical. And Proverbs, perhaps better than any other book of the Bible, shows us just how practical God's revelation is. God's revelation applies to the way we use our money, the way we train our kids, the way we work, the way we resolve problems, the type of friends we make, the type of person we marry, the way we use our time, and even how much we sleep. The one who fears God pursues wisdom, doing today what we see in Proverbs, that is, bringing every part of life to the light of God's revelation. Now, usually when we think about applying God's revelation to life, we think of the daily discipline of sitting down with God's word, reading it, and then asking ourselves several questions to identify how the text applies to our life. This is good. Everyone can do it, but it is a skill. By God's grace, you can get better at applying God's word this way. But there is another approach that I want to discuss this morning. As we just said, normally we read and then ask how that applies to life. This is good. Please keep doing this. But doing just this could keep us from seeing the full richness of the Bible's application to our lives. The other approach is to think about application, not just during our Bible reading, but also during life itself. Here's what I mean. When was the last time you were eating with your family or, or friend, someone shared about being offered a promotion at work, and you responded with this question, how does the Bible help us know what is the right or wise next step for you? When was the last time you were considering a major investment in your home? And so you asked yourself this question, how does the Bible help me know whether this is a right or wise investment? When was the last time you were hurt by a friend and asked yourself, how does the Bible help me know what is the right or wise response? Now, as you hear these hypothetical scenarios I've made up, just go ahead and fill something in that happened to you yesterday, good or bad, it doesn't matter. 
and ask yourself the question, how does the Bible help me know what is right or wise in this situation? Now, a couple things to remember here. First of all, in this process of applying the Bible, we are not expecting necessarily to find a verse that exactly addresses our situation. In other words, I'm not reading the Bible looking for a verse that says, Phil, you should renovate your basement. Okay? Nor does a verse I find about someone who built a house in the Bible mean that I should go renovate my basement. Okay? Sometimes there are direct commands that tell me what is right in this situation. But other times, we need to consider how the principles of God's word connect to the situation. For example, what about my motives? Why do I want to renovate my basement? And what does the Bible say about those desires in my heart? Or what about the ways that God has directly commanded me to use my finances? Will renovating my basement at this time make it harder or impossible for me to obey those commands that God has given me directly? These are all considerations that will help me discern what is right or wise in this situation. Second, this second approach is not completely foreign to us. We are used to thinking this way when we are in the middle of a really, really hard trial. But Proverbs and Ecclesiastes call us to ask this question all the time. How does the Bible help me know what is right or wise next? Third, this process of applying the Bible is probably harder than the application we do after our daily Bible reading. And so, number four, this process of applying the Bible may leave you initially, in many cases, saying, I don't know how the Bible helps me here. And that means, number five, that unless you're satisfied with, I don't know, this process of applying the Bible will lead you to search the scriptures diligently. And sixth, because wisdom is something we grow in over time, by God's grace, this process will lead us to ask for help from others who have perhaps had to consider a similar question before themselves. And between this way of thinking about application and what we do as a part of our daily Bible reading, we will grow by God's grace in our ability to bring all of life under the sun into the light of God's revelation. We will grow in this skill. We will, we will grow in wisdom. But I want to caution us as we finish this morning. Our ultimate goal is not to be the wisest person ever. Wisdom is good, Ecclesiastes says, but it does not put us in a position of control. Our goal is not to be the wisest person ever. From one perspective, you could say that the wisest person ever was King Solomon. But in spite of his great wisdom, which the Lord gave to him, Solomon's heart was turned away after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as was the heart of his father David. Having great wisdom does not mean we will never act foolishly. And so our wisdom can never be our ultimate confidence. But from another perspective, the wisest person ever was Jesus Christ. Paul calls him both the power and the wisdom of God. The light of God's revelation shined upon life under the sun when God himself became man and lived under the sun with us. Christ showed us what it looks like to always act wisely. 
And yet he was treated like a fool. In the ultimate reversal, Jesus on the cross received the disaster that foolishness deserves, while fools like you and me are offered the good that only the righteous and wise deserve. Our goal is not to be the wisest person ever. That has already been done. For Solomon, it didn't keep him from failing significantly. And Jesus has already secured our blessing through his wisdom. We seek wisdom because we fear God, because we love Jesus, and because Jesus said that all those who hear and obey his words will be like a house built upon a rock. When the flood of judgment comes, that house will stand. We hear and obey Jesus by believing what he said, that his death and resurrection in our place is the only way that we can be reconciled to God with all our sins forgiven and escape the punishment that we deserve. The wise response to Jesus is to turn from your sin and trust him. And then every day, keep listening to Jesus. Keep bringing every time in life under the sun into the light of his word and trusting in him with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding, but acknowledging him in all our ways. And he promises to direct our paths. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the grace that you have shown us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the way you rule over your world in wisdom. Thank you for your word and thank you that you are a God who gives wisdom to those who ask for it. Lord Jesus, we love you and we want to hear and obey your words. We ask for wisdom. Help us to grow in this skill of bringing every part of our lives into the light of your words. Thank you for the blessing it is to live under your rule. And when we can't see the wisdom of what you do, give us the faith to keep trusting you and to keep doing what is right and wise. In your name we pray. Amen.